You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Uh, I want to just pick up right from the announcements and that they sort of open the door for where we're going today in this idea of serving because we're going to go into our homes and we're going to talk about life in the home. And uh, this is one of those places where uh, a lot of people go, oh, let's not go there. Let's not go inside our house. The house is sort of the private place. It's like nobody really knows what goes on at home. You know, you come to church and you look your best and do your best, say your best, act your best. Most of you um, do that. Uh, some of us don't. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but most people, you know, we, we have that kind of churchy image uh, that, that goes on. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing bad about that. Um, but the reality is that we are different a lot of times at home than we are here. Believe it or not, pastors are very different at home uh, than they are here in the, in the church. And Pastor Dave and I will attest to that. And uh, because of that, this is a very challenging place for me to stand today. It's really, really uh, like challenging me. I'm finding it very difficult to preach to you this morning and teach you about this idea of serving in your home. Uh, <clears throat> And the main reason is because I fail so miserably at it sometimes myself. Uh, and I don't like that part of me. I don't like the part of me anytime that fails. I, I, I tend to be prone to perfectionism a bit sometimes. And, and uh, uh, I, I'm kind of a workaholic kind of a person sometimes. And so uh, when I don't measure up, it, it, it's something that is very unsettling to me. But, but more than that, Pastor Dave and I both have realized as we've talked to each other in the past uh, three to four weeks is that these messages are really not fun for us. Because when we're starting to talk about pride and humility and, and the, the, the conflict between those and the turmoil that comes out of working out of, out of one and into the other and then starting to look at how we live within the family unit and how we deal with our children and how we love our wives and those kinds of things, man, do we feel like we come up way short there. And so we don't feel as though we have uh, a, you know, a lot of expertise to bring in some of those areas and we feel like we have a lot to learn in those areas. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, positionally, we are the pastors of the church, and, uh, and we're going to bring this to the table. We're going to bring it in here, and we're going to look at it, and we're going to look at it in our own lives as much as we ask you to look at it in your lives. And we're all going to come to that place of the grace of God that is sufficient for all of us. Uh, so today is not a day to, you know, that, that we would be pointing fingers at you in any manner. Uh, it is a day for us to look at some things and talk about some things. And uh, hopefully you will be able to uh, take these things back to your home and, uh, and work with them and deal with them. All right. So with that in mind, let me pray for us. And uh, let's get into this idea a little bit here this morning about serving or being servants within our own homes. All right. Let's pray. God, I ask you today for tremendous strength. I ask you to help me, equip me today. These words that I have brought to paper, I ask you now to help me to bring them verbally to the hearts of your people. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you do this. And I pray that you be the grid that uh, allows these words, this message, to pass through into the hearts of your people. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you have your way here today. Jesus, I just want to acknowledge that you have lordship over Life Church. You are the head of this church. And I humbly submit myself and this congregation to you today that we may learn that we may humbly open our hearts knowing full well that we have need of you, that we cannot live in our own homes and make you Lord of those homes without the grace that you bring to us. And so I ask you to help us today as your people that we can have godly homes, righteous homes, homes that, that bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and that our homes will glorify you and honor you uh, in every way possible. So challenge us today, Lord. Holy Spirit, um, speak to us deeply. Let me as a man decrease today that you may increase through me. And may these words help us today and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to ask you in a few minutes to turn to, to some different scriptures and look at them. But let me first of all tell you a tale. This is the tale of two houses, all right? Uh, the first house, one of these houses, it's, it's straight off the cover of Architectural Digest. I mean, its floors, they just gleam, they shine with, with fresh wax. The walls are bright. It's an unspotted house with, with marvelous hues of color, uh, beautiful drapes, uh, all the paint, its furnishings, they're all 
color-coordinated, not one item clashes in this house, tasteful accents are here and there and everywhere, pretending to be randomly set, but actually set with very, very much intentionality to be perfectly placed, all right? Uh, In this house, the, the, the climate control system balances the temperatures, the humidity, the particle count, the ozone level, everything. The windows are specially treated in this house uh, to have this electron layer. It repels dust and, and haze both inside and outside. Uh, it adjusts the lights to, to the light outside so the lights come on at a certain point in time and they continue to get brighter as, as darkness falls and that sort of thing. Uh, it's just it's amazing all that is there. Everything is just... Uh, perfectly put and, and placed and, and every room is controlled, every room is, is sort of uh, sealed off in a sense uh, and, uh, and almost untouchable from the outside. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's a carpet that lays in this house and when people walk on it, it's amazing that you never see a footprint, it just springs back. Uh, but in that house, you see people and they stand there and their clothing coordinates with the decor of the room that they're, they're standing in. They're elegantly accessorized. Their teeth line up in perfect smiles. Their hair is styled and shaped. And they are speaking to one another, but they are very, very careful. They're very cautious because every word has to be practically perfect and they have to say the right thing at all times. So it's a very careful, careful home. It's like, how do you kiss a porcupine? Very carefully. Then there's this other house, and it's straight off the cover of, like, the Antique Road Show or uh, the Kingswood Rummage Sale, you know? <laughs> it's floors as far as we can see them. They're kind of like my daughter's room. Uh, uh, could use some attention, you know, particularly some things could be picked up, you know. Or if, if there isn't anything there laying there, you can see the scratch marks of the toenails of the demon-possessed dog that lives in the house, you know. Uh, th- those, uh, you know... <laughs> You know, the, the walls have handprints on them and there's, there's smudges in this house, you know. There's, there's, there's places where there's some, some dirt and there, there's some grit and there's cracked paint on, on some of the walls and, and there's, there, there may even be crates to sit on, you know, or, or maybe they've reached a place where, where that they have a later Kmart styling or something like that, you know. Uh, it, it's one of those kinds of places. It's a little dark. In, in there, there's not always the proper lighting, and maybe even some of the bulbs are actually burned out, and 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 maybe there's there's a there's a lamp, but it's not really working because someone's old dirty smelly sweater is hanging over it because it didn't get put away, you know. Uh, and and on the other side of this house, and in, in in there, there's people talking there too, but it seems very animated. It's loud. In fact, it's an argument. And, and they're raising their voices and they're, they're waving their hands. And, and one of them, she has her hands on her hips and she's giving this old foot-stomping effect. If you ain't from the down south, you might not have seen that, but it works something like this. Do they? Thank you. I knew they did. It's a messed up house. But it's a house where people can come in because even though someone may be shaking their head vigorously or, or as much as their stiff neck will allow uh, and, and there's tension and it's heated and it's stressful, this is a house where people come in and they share their things. And they talk about their things and they work through their things and they get into the mess of life and they deal with things because they know that in this house they love one another. And there's care and there's genuineness and there's a reality about this house that says even though I have a mess to deal with and I bring things into this, I can come in here because in this place of love, in this place that isn't perfect, I have an opportunity to be open and I have an opportunity to be received and to be accepted and to be loved. I'm not going to ask you which house is yours, but I'm going to tell you, God, I believe, wants to build a home. And He wants to get you away from that place of trying to be perfect and looking perfect and acting perfect and having the perfect house so that everybody thinks you're the perfect family and that everything you do is practically perfect. 
to that place of understanding that in my messy life and in the place I am, that is where I will find Jesus because that's the place where Jesus will come. Jesus didn't come for the perfect. And you can build that perfect house. And you can have practically perfect imagery all over the place. But I think if Jesus came in, in full flesh form and looked around and, and decided where he would go, I don't think he would choose a practically perfect house. I think he would choose a messy home where people are hurting and, 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 and trying to love and trying to work it out and trying to find how the, what is the strategy for us to live for God and love God and make God Lord and King over our home. I believe that's what God would be after and I believe that's what his son would go after. Because that's where Jesus found himself, among the, the, the less represented, the less notable, the quite unnotable for that matter. The people who had needs and the people who were hurting and the people who were broken and the people who were messed up and the people who were sinful. And so I want to challenge you and I that we look at our, our, our lives and we look at our homes and, and we come to conclude some things here today out of this, this message and I'm not going to try today to give you the 22 uh, things that you can do to make your home more spiritual or the 17 things that you can do to love your wife more or the 1,400 things you need to do to keep your children in check. Uh, I'm not going to go through a list of how, what it means to be the best parent and how to do that. We're going to offer you some parenting classes down the road. That's another one of the things that we want to do in, in this year of equipping is we want to be able to help come together with you and let's look at parenting and parenting styles and, and biblical parenting and, 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 and learn and grow together in that. We want to help you with your family every way that we can. But I, I can't cover all that stuff in this message today. But I can tell you this today, there's one big idea here, and that is that God wants to be the center of your home. All right, above everything else today, Jesus has to be king. If I can take you back very briefly for a second here, the Sunday before Easter, Palm Sunday, I stood here and preached to you on that Sunday. I, don't, I won't ask if you remember the message or not, okay? I'll help you. I'll remind you of what I preached. I, I ask you to close your eyes and envision the king, King Jesus, coming down the street. And I ask you, if Jesus came to visit your home, what would you do? How would you respond? And we talked about the people on Palm Sunday uh, in, in the Bible, in that, that, that place where Jesus set his eyes towards Jerusalem, and he began to walk that way or ride that way on that small donkey. And what, what began to happen in the hearts of the people as they began to, to take their coats off and lay them before him and honor him as the king. And I ask you uh, some, some, some penetrating questions. Hopefully they were penetrating that day uh, about what would you do if the king came down your street and how would you honor King Jesus? What do you need to do in your life to honor King Jesus? And now we're, we've been equipping you through the past Sundays after Easter, following Easter, to talk about uh, humility over pride and asking you to, to walk humbly before your God. And we've done that and we, we, we're bringing it now right to the front door of your house, all right? So Jesus isn't on the street anymore. He's walking in the door. And so I want to ask you today that particular kind of penetrating question, where is Jesus in your house or your home? Where, where is Jesus in all of this? And what are you building as a family? And dads, husbands, men, I want to particularly challenge you. As, as the, the spiritual heads of your home, as positionally being in the head over your home, I want to really challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you ladies too, and we're going to, we're going to challenge all of us more. And this isn't about gender issues or gender roles. This is just saying simply, men, call to be positionally the head in your home and lead. How are you leading today? And what is your home looking like? And what are you building? And kind of out of that big idea of God needing to be the head of the home, and men, you right under there in your own homes and taking that responsibility. Let me bring you to the biggest idea of all today, and that is this. If Jesus Christ is not king over your home, you don't have 
a good home. You can't build a good home outside of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You can build in your own strength. Some of you in here have literally built houses. You've been part of the building process. I've watched houses be built around our home. There's, there's a lot involved in building. And a builder or a contractor, uh, it's amazing. This room is starting to finally take some real sweet shape. Have you noticed it? It's really, it's really going to be lovely when we get it all painted and, and get everything done in here. It's going to get, get a different kind of ceiling and, and everything. It's, going to, it's just going to be a, a great, great room. And uh, Troy Brooks has done a great deal of, of the work, the labor of doing this room. And then uh, uh, Roy's brother came and did all of that mudding and taped those stripes you see uh, all smooth and sanded out and everything. And then some of the guys came and, and helped clean up yesterday all of that dust and stuff and got this room ready for you today. A lot of work goes into building. And I thank God for all that's been done to, to, to make this building what it is. But it isn't about the building. All right? And, and, and you can work hard in your own strength to try to build a, a home and make it look good. But unless Jesus is the builder, you build in vain. And so I, I want to challenge you and I. So let, let, me, let me just take you back. Let me take you uh, into the Old Testament, into 2 Samuel here for just a moment. Um, maybe you want to turn there in, in your, your Bibles even. Uh, and, and, and look at a little bit of that with, with me here. Second Samuel, chapter 7. Do you have that? Ah, look at there. After the king was settled in his palace, this is King David, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him. He doesn't have to worry about defending you know, his, his, his home or anything like that or the land. All right. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Do you have verse 4 by chance? Okay. Verse 4 is, is very interesting there, um, because uh, it says that Nathan, Nathan has replied to the king, all right, and he says, You do whatever you want to do, King David. The Lord's with you. But it says then in, in verse 4 that that night after Nathan has sort of encouraged the, the king and said, yeah, you go do this. It says that, that the word of the Lord came to Nathan. All right? Not, not to King David, but to Nathan. And so Nathan had to go back and, 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 and sort of relay this, this, this quite lengthy message, if you will, from, uh, from the Lord to David. And it has to do with this idea of building. And now if you go through this dialogue, and, 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 and what I want you to understand is I want you to see here the hand of God in this thing. All right, David's saying, I should build a temple. God's been in a tent for a long time. I ought to build a temple. I'm the king. I'm injecting some things here. I, I, I want you to understand that, okay? But there seems to be this idea now that I'm king, I can do this. I can build this temple for God. And, and God seems to come back, even after the prophet says, go for it. The, the Lord is with you in, the, in what you do. And what, from what the prophet could see, that had been the case. But please understand, side note, even prophets in their humanity can miss it once in a while. All right? Back to the sermon. David. Why should you build me a house? That's kind of what he's, what he's asking. And, and I, as I pondered this and as I, as I read through some of this, it, it, several writers had, had a great take on this. And they seemed to think that, that David was sort of wanting to build this house for God, but it doesn't seem really that it's all for God. It seems to be a bit for David. David wants to, I'm the king, I want to do this. And God speaks back to David through the prophet Nathan, and he says something that's very interesting. He indicates that he 
obviously it's the source of David's house. But he makes a distinction about house here. He uses house in two different ways here. David, you got a house to live in. You got a house of cedar. You got a house that was built. And of course, God was with David as he built his palace, his house. But God says to David, I will build you a house. And that, will, that house will be your children and your children's children. And they will know God. They will know me. And so suddenly he seems to, to slide this thing apart and say, you can build a house, but that doesn't mean a thing. And see, I don't think God had a problem being in a tent because in the tent he met with the people. God's about relationship and God's about intimacy and God's about connectedness. He isn't about perfection and about image and about grandeur and about looks and about all those kinds of things. And so he says, David, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a house. But that house is your sons and your daughters and your grandsons and your granddaughters and your great-grandsons and your, your great-granddaughters. But there's, there's something that needs to happen here is that they need to know God. And I'll, I'll come into this thing with you, David. And I think, it's, I think the only way we, as the body of Christ, are going to be able to fulfill God's call and do what He truly wants us to do is we make Him the center of our building. Whatever it is we are building, it has to be built by God. God has to direct it. We have to have lordship here. And so I, I, I want to challenge you and I today that we begin to, to get this perspective of God, all right? Because what we, what, I think what we tend to do is we tend to build and we, get, we settle in our building. We, we, we get okay with what we've built for a little while. And then we go, ah, oh, you know, but if we had this or we had that or we did this or we did that, it'd be better. And we keep going for better and better and better. And somewhere it seems that, that, that God gets out of that and it's all about image, we all fall into this. In my neighborhood, the imagery that, that denotes success is a well-manicured lawn. Well-manicured lawn. Expensive, well-manicured lawn. <laughs> so when I get up in the morning and I'm driving along down my street... I see two things. I see retired gentlemen. Love them to death. Great guys. But I don't like them. Because they don't have anything else to do, so they fiddle in their lawn. I'm in my Jeep bumping along, you know, going down the road here, trying to think about all I got to do today and everything that's on my list. And as I'm going along, I'm looking and I'm just getting madder and madder because all I see is these little old men in their little velour jumpsuits, zipped up. And they're out there with all their tools and all their stuff and they're playing in their lawn. And I come home and my wife says, are you going to mow the lawn or not? Because they have these manicured lawns and they're edged and everything's lovely and, and lush and green. Because see, the other thing I see when I'm bouncing along in my Jeep and going down the road is I see the forever green guy. And he's got those, those big wellies on and a big old hose and he's just running around just spraying all over the place. And the meter's racking up the cost for this wonderful elixir that is going to make this lawn deeply green and fast growing which requires more mowing and I have this mentality that I don't need to pay someone to do what I can do even though I can only do it reasonably well but we live in a neighborhood where success is measured by how well your lawn is manicured and so everybody, drive by my neighborhood. Everybody but Pastor Bill is successful on my street. 
because I don't have a well-manicured lawn. As a matter of fact, in places I don't even have a lawn. I'm being a little bit funny here, but, but are you getting what I'm trying to say to you? All right? You, you have to come to the place of what is a priority for me. Um, I, was, I was reading about some, some, some different people, and, and in the 18th century, there was, there was this guy, his name was Count Gregory uh, Podikamp. And I'm probably not saying that correctly because it's, I think it's Russian. And, uh, and Michelle Olson should be here to help me out here. Uh, but um, Count Gregory Podikin, uh, he was one of the favorites in the court of the Russian uh, Serena, Catherine the Great. All right? uh, and so uh, Podikin, Podikin, excuse me, was always trying to favor her because he obviously wanted to be favored, you know, have her blessing and, and, and benefit from, from her reign and all of that. And so what Podikim realized was that she really wasn't interested in the lives of people or the condition of people. She only wanted to see good things. And so this is what uh, Count Podikim did. He built these facades. They were like buildings. All right? And so th- from, from one side, they looked like a legitimate building. But on the other side... There was nothing, just the, the poles that held them up. And then wherever uh, uh, she was going to go for a visit, he would go along the roads there and put these facades up in front of the impoverished people's dwellings. And then he would hire the peasants in the area to come and stand in front of these facades and he would dress them. And then... This lovely lady, Catherine the Great, would drive through and as she looked out the carriage on either side, she would see this facade of success and wonder. And there would be those who would say something like our American uh, version of, ta-da, 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 saying to her, it's all good, it's all great. But behind the facades, people were dying. Behind the facades, people were were in misery. But here's the thing. Because of the facades, she never knew the truth. And nothing could ever be done. And I'm asking you and I that we build homes that are real. And that we admit our frailties and our weaknesses and and all those kinds of things. And that we say, you know what, God, without your Lordship of Jesus Christ, your Son, I can't do this. Because that's where I am, guys. That's where my house is. See, my house is one of those messy houses. My, my house is one of those, if you go in my living room, there's a couple of chairs in there that used to be nice before the demon-possessed dog got a hold of them. All right? Um, but, but the other chairs are, are office chairs that I picked up somewhere at like a hotel kind of, you know, refurbishing sale or something. Paid $4 for a couple of them. There's a... There's, there's, a, there's a, a, a box in our, a chest in our, our living room that, that someone just gave to us, you know. And we, we took it because we're like, ha, huh, yeah, you know. We have the most eclectic house. We didn't, you know, we bought stuff in furniture stores. Yes, we have. We bought expensive stuff in furniture stores. But we buy, like, one expensive piece and put lots of little cheap things around it, you know. Uh, I mean, that's our house. That's how, that's how we are, Okay. And, and, and Sunday mornings, our family fights like cats and dogs. We have amazing arguments on Sunday mornings. They're unbelievable. They are prime arguments. You know, they are substantial. We have them other times, too. There are many days of the week that I get up and question my ability to parent. I don't know how to do it. And I've been doing it for 20-something years now. There are days when I don't know how to love my wife. And there are days when I just choose not to love anybody. Because I become self-seeking and self-centered and selfish and all about myself. The Lord says to David, I will make you a house. 
and I will raise up your offspring after you, those who come from your body, and I will establish the kingdom. And your, your house, your lineage, your, those that will come after you, they will be forever. You and I have got to get away from living in the now. I hope this is making sense to you. I, I, I struggled with preparing this, this talk today uh, because I really, I really want you to understand something here about this idea of, of, of God's lordship through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, John, the, the evangelist John, he, he preached Jesus. And he preached about a day when, when God would come through his own son, Jesus. And he said his own people would receive him not. And he goes on and he says there was a day when, when he came to live where he belonged. Basically, that's what he's saying here. But he says, uh, those who he came to turned him away. Why? I think this. Uh, let me pose this idea to you. I think it might be because they lived in the Ar- Architectural Digest home. We don't want someone to come in here and get it messy. Pastor Dave's going to talk to you about serving in the church next week. But this is where it moves now dangerously into the church. We just don't want it to get messy. If that's the kind of church we, we are about being. The perfect church. Which we're not! And we're not going to be. Messy stuff's going to come in. If love abounds, stuff gets messy. It does. It does. Where was Jesus? Among the messy people of the world. I think, I think the reason the people didn't want Jesus is not just because he, he obviously was the Son of God and, and, and they didn't want to accept that, but, but they didn't want what he was coming with. They didn't want that message that he was preaching. They didn't want what Jesus was bringing. And I want to ask you this today. Is Jesus in your home? Does he have lordship? And do you want what he brings? Are, are you ready for that? Let me, let me give you some essentials here. All right? There's an old writer. He was a, a, a Hoosier poet, actually. And he said, uh, It takes a whole lot of living to make a house a home. And I believe it does. But that's where it gets hard is in the living of this thing. All right? That, that's where it gets tough. And I want to I give you some essentials. So, so let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Let me give you just a few things here. And I'll try to wrap this up. Okay? Matthew chapter 12 verse 25 says, Every city or house divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Now, I understand what he's saying here. And Jesus is actually defending his authority before a group of people who were actually saying that he was working by Satan's power rather than by God's power. Okay, I understand that. All right. So he, what he's doing here is he's simply reminding them of, of this argument. And that is if he was casting out demons by Satan's power, then Satan would be working against himself. And that would divide Satan's kingdom and, and bring it down. But it's, it's also evident, I think, that this can be applied to us in, in the church and to us in the home and, and, and probably anything else. A divided home will not be able to stand. A divided church will not be able to stand. And Satan is making a a very diligent effort, I believe, to destroy every Christian home in the world. And this is something that I want you and I to be very aware of. There's a spiritual component to this where we have an enemy, an adversary, and he is against you. And men, he is against you leading in your home, your family, and making Jesus Lord over your home. And so I want us to be very, very aware of this. And I think there are some some ingredients that I would like to look at with you for a moment here 
and, and really challenge us. So everyone, I, I want you to all kind of come into this with me, but men in particular, I want you to really hear my heart today in this, all right? Please understand, parents, if you make anything else Lord of your home other than Jesus, it will destroy your home eventually. And that includes your children. If your children are Lord, Jesus isn't. If your income is Lord, Jesus isn't. If your outside relationships are Lord, Jesus isn't. Listen to me very carefully. If how you do your faith is your Lord, then Jesus isn't. And I want to challenge us in that deeply today. Because I think this is a hallmark place where we really have to, we have to be like Jesus. Who emptied himself out and took on the very nature of a servant. And so you and I have to live out of servitude. All right? Here are some of the things that I think are ingredients in a home. And, and, and you've got you, you to really grab a hold of this today. Okay? First of all, the home should be a place of uncompromised fidelity. Fidelity. You say, well, I don't sleep around. I am not talking just about sleeping around. I'm talking about fidelity. All right? The husband and the wife must be true to one another in any and every circumstance of the home and life. Fidelity it speaks of this, this strict observance of promises and loyalty and faithfulness together. It's, it's oneness. I think there's about three things that I'd like to leave with you today about this thing of, of fidelity. And, and I think these will hopefully will motivate you um, to this kind of unwavering, unfailing faithfulness. All right? And, and, and this is hard for me because these are places that I have failed miserably at times. But I want to tell you where it starts. Your fidelity in the home starts with your love for God. Because, because you love God, you will want to do His will for your life. Turn, turn to, to Matthew chapter 19. Let's look at starting at verse 4. All right? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? Verse 5. And said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. All right? If we love God, we're going to live like this. And men, I want to pose something to you. You've been taught and preached that passage of Scripture, mostly at weddings. And those weddings have conveyed this message of, okay, two people are going to get married, and, and you need to make sure that there's not some guy over here who's, who's like a, uh, you know, a, a poker player on a steamboat just waiting, looking for your wife over there, and he's going to come marching over there, and sooner or later he's going to be looking good and hold out his arm, and she's going to take his arm and walk away from you. So some other man's going to come in and destroy your marriage. Let me tell you something. Most marriages are not destroyed by some other man. They're oftentimes destroyed by the man in the marriage because that man does not keep fidelity. He does not come up to that place. He is supposed to be as the head of his home and cover his wife and love her and protect her and empower her to be the phenomenal woman that God has gifted her and called her to be. And I want to challenge you and I that we not be looking for the other man out there so much as we be looking for the man in the marriage and, and ask that man in an introspective way, are you... Dividing this marriage. Guys, you're notorious. I am, you are, we are. Of just shutting down, hiving off, separating, going off. My wife can tell you that the two of us can be in a small room together and she's as lonely as she's ever been.
And it's not what she did or didn't do. It's me. Because I'm very capable of compartmentalizing my life and going into my hole or box or whatever. God's ideal is one man, one woman together. <laughs> and fellas, God did not say it is one when you're having sex. It's one all the time. All the time. Ladies, same for you. Don't shut yourselves down here, okay? Brings me to the next point. What is another, another piece to this puzzle of, of, of faithfulness and, and fidelity? Love for your partner. First, love for God. Then love for your partner. Real love does not want to hurt. It doesn't want to injure. It doesn't want to offend the, the, the marriage partner at all. All right? Real love uh, involves the giving of yourself completely to the other. All right? So, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Again, I'm going to pick on you guys a lot more today than I am the ladies. But I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this. I'll tell you this up front. Uh, those... And I, this isn't, this isn't to, to offend anyone, but in this church, we believe that we need to really focus on men. It doesn't, that doesn't mean that we're not focusing on you ladies. If we focus on your men, we're focusing on you. If we get your men straightened out, you'll have a great life. <laughs> okay? So our, our intent is to, is to work in the whole of the home. And ladies, you're going to be challenged all along the way here too. Alright? But we're trying to create a safe environment here. Alright? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Forgive me if I start to rush through this, but I, I do want to get through a, a few more things. And I'm going to come back to this later. We, we want to get through this series, but I'm going to come back later and talk some more about the home and, and, and about our, our relationships in the home. All right. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Doesn't that sound a lot like Philippians? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to him as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Men, we do not know what it means to sacrifice ourselves for someone else. We, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't die for others, including our wives and our children, like we need to. And we look at it, a lot of life as giving stuff up. Until you make Jesus Lord over your life, men, you will never be able to fully love your wife the way you should or your children. You'll never be able to bring what your wife needs to the table. You'll never be able to parent your children like you need to. Like Jesus. Jesus emptied himself out and took on the very nature of a servant and humbled himself. This is the part that gets, gets very, very challenging. Even unto death. How often are we dying for one another, folks? How often are we just laying down our own pleasures, our own desires, our own needs for others in our lives? And in particular, our spouses, the ones that we are supposed to be one with. There's one other reason that I think is important for us to have this uncompromised fidelity. And it is that, that we long to have a good name for the glory of God. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And I would ask you to, to measure your motives here. What is, the, what is the motive of your heart here today? Do you, want, do you want to get stuff? Do you want to have stuff? And does that, that override the importance of you laying down your life for your wife or your children or, or your husband and your children? See, we have this idea that a good name is success. A good name is wealth. A good name is is a, a charismatic personality. A good name is a lot of friends. I was looking at someone's Facebook page this week. They, they, they sent me a request to be their friend. 
And I, I just happened to look at the block, you know, where, where it lists how many friends you have. This person has like 1,000 and something friends. I said to myself, she don't need no more friends. She's got enough. She especially doesn't need me to be her friend. I went on Facebook some time ago and I, I quit it altogether, but other people wanted me to, to get back on because they wanted to communicate with me that way. But I went through and I got off. I mean, there are no women other than the women in this church who have asked to be friends on Facebook that are on my Facebook. I, I don't need single women who I graduated from high school with to be my friend on Facebook and send me a poke. You're laughing, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, this is an area that I have decided I will get in your closet with you. I will, I will rummage through your mess only because I love you. And we can't do this. We can't be like this in the church. Fidelity. And Pastor Dave's going to talk to you about fidelity within the, the church and, and caring about one another and, 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 and serving each other in the body of Christ. We're going to, we're going to hit all of these things, okay? But I, I'm telling you, a good name is what you need. You don't need to be on Facebook lauding how many people you have for friends and, and playing games with people you, don't, you haven't had a relationship with in 20 years and trading pigs or... Gold ore or whatever it is you do in those games you do. I know this is my personal vendetta. I'm sorry. This, I'm on an agenda. All right. I, am on, I stepped on my soapbox. I don't like this, this virtual friendship stuff. I don't like this virtual intimacy. I don't like all this crap that's out there that keeps us from building homes where Jesus has lordship and we are faithful and there is fidelity and purity and we're, we're, we're having lordship over our children based on the Bible and not our own personal desires and preferences and, and needs. If you have any good name at all, it needs to be the name of Jesus. As servant. I'm, I'm going to be done. I'm going to be done. I have 12 more pages there. At least. Of stuff. How many of you today. You. You. You're catching this and you're willing to say, you know what, whatever my home looks like, maybe you're single, maybe you're married, maybe um, you have a blended family. I mean, there can be all, all kinds of circumstances in the home. But in your home, you will with me renew your commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you will say that in all that, that I have and all that I do, and all that has been entrusted to me. I, I'm, I'm, putting, I'm bringing all of that under the lordship of Jesus Christ here. Husbands, until you are willing to serve faithfully in your own home, you will never serve the way you need to in the church or in the community. Wives and, and, and moms, and, until you, you are willing to lay down your life sacrificially and give out of yourself, out of the strength that God puts in you, You'll never fully fulfill the destiny that God has for your lives. There's a whole section about parenting in here. And one of the scriptures is, Parents, don't exasperate your children. And that's a wonderful New Testament message. And my children remind me of that occasionally. They, li they like to bring that to my attention. And I take them and say, Good, that's good, you're right. We've got to work at this together. We've got to be a team. Let me take you back over here to Deuteronomy where it says in Deuteronomy, parents, train up your children in the way that they should go. Teach them these things. All of that. You have, we have such great responsibility here. Some of you in this church, your children are 
in lordship over your house needs to stop. Some of you, it's, it's ambition and other things. It has lordship over your home. It needs to stop. We need to make this commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ today that he will have lordship over our homes. Would you do that with me today? Can we do that? I want to just pray for you and then Pastor Dave, I'll let you come up, okay? Let's pray. If you're married, get close to each other, all right? If you're not married, don't get too close to each other. Unless you're about to be married and then you can sort of figure it out. Uh, you ready to do this? Yeah? I am too. I think this is big. I think this is really big for us. Let me pray for you. God, in the name of Jesus, your only Son, I ask you to come in the power of the Holy Spirit and I ask you to circumcise our hearts today. I ask you to do an amazing work that just literally transforms us and that we begin to build the kingdom of God in every home. Because today, Father, in the name of Jesus, we give, we give your Son lordship over our home. And we ask you to come and, and pour grace over every home and courage and strength to live out this submission to you. And where we need to bring order into our homes, I ask you, God, to do that in the name of Jesus right now. Just begin to speak the strategies that are necessary and help us to come into alignment with you according to Scripture. And I pray, Father, that the spirit of fidelity fall on all of us and that there is a greater oneness in every family than there ever has been before. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to discard all of the facades and the things that we have put up. And that we honestly and genuinely build the kingdom home by home by home by home. In Jesus' name, amen.